0: Welcome to the Word of Grace podcast. As a community, we exist to love on God with all that we are and to share His grace with everyone. If you want to connect with us more, head to social media or wordofgracechurch.com. Here's today's episode. Following together, follow together. That's the series that we are in right now. Uh, Let's start with these words from Jesus. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. And with that one uh, invitation, Jesus interrupted the very course of these young men's lives and they became his first disciples. Interrupted the very course of their lives and with this one statement, Jesus lays out some significant marks of what it means to be his disciple. A disciple is someone who is following Jesus. He said, follow me. So a disciple is a follower. Follow me and I will make you. A disciple of Jesus is also daily being changed by Jesus. Follow me and I will make you a fisher of men, a follower of Jesus. A disciple is committed to the mission of Jesus. Three hallmarks of a disciple, one who is following Following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and committed to the mission of Jesus. So following Jesus, in my mind then, uh, pertains to our head, our hearts, and our hands, all three. They are all important as we follow Jesus. We follow Jesus with our heads because it starts with a conscious decision. I will be a follower. I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back following jesus starts with a conscious decision in our heads and in our minds following jesus involves our hearts because being a follower of jesus indicates a willingness to change and grow to be more like jesus every day that's a part of being a disciple as well and finally following jesus involves our hands as we make a commitment to jesus to the mission of jesus with our daily actions and activity, head, hands, heart, all engaged as a follower of Jesus. There are four words in the New Testament that help me understand personally what what I committed to when I said, Jesus, I will follow you. First of all, obviously, a, a, a disciple is a follower of Jesus. Jesus said, take up your cross and Follow me, isn't that right? But it's not just a follower. A disciple is a committed learner to the teacher Jesus. Take my yoke upon you and... Learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your soul. So a a, a disciple is a learner follower, but a disciple is also an ambassador. Second Corinthians 5 tells us we represent Christ on planet Earth. We are ambassadors for Christ's sake. We are ambassadors and representatives of the kingdom of God as we walk on this planet. And how many you know an ambassador just doesn't do his own thing? The American ambassador to Israel or the American ambassador to Nigeria, they don't do their own thing. They don't speak on their own behalf. They represent their sovereign in another location. We represent our sovereign in heaven on earth as his ambassadors, and that is part of being a disciple. A learner, a follower, ambassador, and let me give you one more. A disciple is a reproducer or replicator Jesus expects disciples to make more disciples Paul said to his young young disciple, Timothy, the things you've heard and seen in me pass on to faithful men who can teach others also. Paul had a vision for four generations of disciples as he walked this earth. Not only his following Jesus as a disciple, but what he was doing in the life of Timothy as he took him under his wing as his disciple, those who Timothy would disciple and those who Timothy's disciples would disciple. Can you think... As God puts people in your life that you can disciple, what the spider web of faith might look like 20 or 30 years from now. As you follow Jesus, make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. So a f- disciple of Jesus is a learner, follower, ambassador, and reproducer. So by, by definition, to disciple another person is to carefully help them grow in the character, ways, and mission of Jesus. The character, as they become disciples and grow, they begin to look a little bit more like Jesus. The ways, they begin to think a little bit more like Jesus. And the mission, they begin to engage in the things that Jesus engaged in when he walked this planet. Loving, serving, blessing, healing. Huh? So far in this series, we talked about Paul and Timothy. And how much we need both a Paul and Timothy in our lives as followers of Jesus. Next week, we're going to be talking about Barnabas. All right? Paul, Barnabas, Timothy, they kind of make up the big three of this conversation on friends that we need in our lives as we follow Jesus. The big three, the church has talked about Paul and Barnabas and Timothy for decades. Who's your Paul? Who's your Barnabas? Who's your Timothy? It's been encouraged for years, but I want to ask the question today, why are these three important in your life? And I'm going to use this word, non-negotiable. Why are these three non-negotiable relationships that you need to have in your life? Because the God in heaven has a call on your life because the God in heaven has a big purpose for your life the God in heaven has things for you to accomplish on earth while you walk this earth in your life God has a call and a plan and a purpose on your life he has plan and purpose and a mission for you that's why we need Paul Barnabas and Timothy in our lives we <laughs> our world is starving for friendship Wouldn't you agree with that but, but I want to say today, we need more than just friends as we walk this earth. We need friends to our calling. We need friends who understand our purpose. We need friends who understand how God has wired us. We need friends who say, I know what God's called you to, and I'm going to stand with you. I'm going to pray with you. I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to be with you on the journey because more than even myself, I want to see you fulfill the purposes of God in your life because God has a big plan and purpose For each and every one of us, and I say it to teenagers all the time, I'm going to say it to all of us today. Please don't dream too small with your life. Please don't dream too small. The big three shape us, they grow us. The big three are used by the Spirit of God to prepare us for representing Jesus in our world. And they are absolutely crucial to our calling and destiny. So to be the best disciple you can be to fulfill the purpose of God in your life, I can't say this strongly enough. Please hear me. This summer, or even while we're in this series, enlist a Paul, be a Barnabas, grow a Timothy, and fulfill your call. Enlist a Paul, someone who is a couple steps further along on this journey Enlist a Paul who you can say, hey, hey, how do I be a better friend to people? Hey, how can I better represent Jesus on the job or in my school? Somebody that can pray with you and, and, and help you grow, help you take the next steps and coach you along the way. Enlist a Paul, somebody who says the things you desperately need to hear but really don't want to. That's a Paul. And if we're gonna fulfill the call of God on our lives, we need a Paul in our lives that can shape us, mold us, and help us come up higher. Enlist a Paul, be a Barnabas. A Barnabas is a friend, lover of Jesus, pretty much the same station in life you walk side by side with. Barnabases are iron sharpening iron relationships. Enlist a Paul, be a Barnabas to somebody. Don't just say, I need a Barnabas, but who can you be Barnabas to in this season of life? Who can you come alongside and say, you know what, God, you're putting that one on my heart, and I'm going to befriend them, and I'm going to walk with them, and I'm going to call them, and I'm going to check on them. I'm going to encourage them in their faith. We're kind of at the same station in life. God, give us that iron sharpening iron relationship. Enlist to Paul, be a Barnabas. Grow a Timothy. On your worst day, on your worst day, you have an awful lot to offer to a 9-year-old or a 13-year-old or an 18-year-old or somebody that's just starting a journey of faith. On your worst day, you have an awful lot to offer them. Grow a Timothy. You just need to be one step ahead. Be willing to take somebody under your wing to say, I want to help you. Negotiate this life and grow in Jesus. I want to help you in your following. I want to help you become a stronger disciple of Jesus. So hear me today. Enlist a Paul. Be a Barnabas. Grow a Timothy. And fulfill the call of God on your life. These are the strategic relationships for all of us in this room who have heard these words In our heart and responded with our will follow me follow me follow me Paul Barnabas Timothy and today I want us to look at one more he's not someone that's listed with the big three in fact I don't know if I've ever heard this anywhere else before but I think in my walk with Jesus what I've seen over the decades and I've seen with with my peers and with coaching young adults and all that I think this fourth person is indispensable in our growth as a disciple of Jesus let's look at Acts chapter 16 we're going to read five verses verses six through ten and Luke records this Paul and his companions traveled through the region of Phrygia and Galatia having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia when they came to the border of Mysia they tried to enter Bithynia but the spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. And during the night, Paul had a vision of a man from Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once uh, to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Following together, today we're talking about the Macedonian man. Lord Jesus, by your Holy Spirit, instruct us and lead us and encourage us today. Far beyond, Lord, where my human words can reach, let your truth resonate and inspire. Holy Spirit, you are the ultimate teacher in the room, and we yield to you with great joy and anticipation. In Jesus' name, can we say amen together? Amen. The Macedonian man, what do we know about him? And why might he be important in our personal discipleship journey? If you'd have been with Paul on that second missionary journey, because Acts 16 is a part of the second missionary journey, you'd have been following Paul, walking every day, miles and miles, only to get to a place and the Holy Spirit would say, No, not here. And then you'd walk another day, all day long, you No, not here. And it's like, No, no, no. Paul, will you just stop for a minute? Paul, for heaven's sake, will you stop and listen to God and find out where we're really supposed to be? Because the Spirit of God, just no, no. Anybody ever been there before? Lots of no's. Sometimes God says no, isn't that right? It's okay. Moses, you'll not go into the promised land. David, you will not be the one to build the temple. Paul, I'm not going to remove that thorn because I've got important plans and bigger purposes for it. Sometimes God says no. And here he's saying no as Paul is wandering with his team all over Asia Minor. And in in the middle of the night, Paul has a vision of a man from Macedonia begging him. He's begging him in this vision, come over and please help us. The Macedonian man for Paul represents a different culture It represents going to a place where he'd never been before. It represents the next frontier because the Macedonian man was a call from Europe where the gospel at this point in history had not yet ever traveled. And Paul has a vision for this Macedonian man. The Macedonian man represents the lost. The Macedonian man represents those with no purpose, no meaning in life, those searching for answers. This is the Macedonian man. So in Acts, in Acts 16, Dr. Luke records, we got ready at once. There's a sense of urgency, and it's interesting to me. This is the first time in the book of Acts where Luke uses the word we. So sometime, Luke had just recently joined Paul's team. Don't know why, don't know how, but from this point on, Luke is a part of the team, and he says, we got ready at once because God was calling us. There was a call. God's got a call on all of our lives. There was a call to preach the gospel, to share our faith, and to share our lives in Macedonia. Paul and his team had a plan. (laughs) It was a good plan. (laughs) But the Spirit interrupted their plans because a Macedonian man was lost. A Macedonian man was crying out for help. A Macedonian man desperately needed Jesus. Helpless and hopeless, he was hungry for a friend that might have some answers to life. Come over, please help us. Now, perhaps you've heard that saying: "When God closes a door, what? He opens a window." Anybody ever hear that before? I think Corey Ten Boom might have said that at one time. When God closes a door, He always opens. I think we need to reverse that here. When God closed a window for Paul, He opened a big door. He opened a whole new world. He opened up Europe in Paul's calling. Paul had simply just wanted to go back. He wanted to go back to check on the disciples they had made in the first journey. He wanted to go back to check on the churches they had planted on the first journey to see how they were doing. But the Bible says the Spirit hindered him every step of the way. And sometimes I I don't think I recognize that the hindrances I'm running to are sometimes God's doing. Sometimes I blame the devil for things that God's right in the middle of because he's trying to change my course of action. He's trying to get me to consider something new. He's trying to open a a, a a new door that I did not even see coming. So the Spirit of God hinders them every step of the way. Growing as a follower of Jesus means to trust God and his guidance and to rejoice equally in his restraints as in the open doors. Because sometimes God says no, and it's okay. Why, I'm going to ask again, why was God calling Paul to Macedonia? Paul just wanted to go back to his friends, but God said no. Maybe, 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 think of this with me. Maybe Paul, maybe God was saying no to Paul to go back to the old disciples and churches because God had some new friends for Paul to make. Maybe there were some new relationships that God wanted to open Paul up to. Maybe there were new friendships to be built. Maybe as Paul got involved in the lives of these Macedonians, God was going to do something pretty special, and salvation would come to Europeans as well. Maybe it was because Jesus wanted him to make new friends and not just go back and hang out with the Christians that he knew. Yeah, he said it. Maybe God wanted Paul to befriend others and have a vision for others that Jesus wanted to become his followers as well. Authentic relationships with lost people brings an authenticness to our faith. Being authentic and in relationship with lost people sharpens our faith and trust in God it causes us to ask questions it causes us to go the extra mile it causes us to say I don't know but I'll find out it helps us grow as a follower of Jesus they shape us they grow our faith they cause us to rethink or think twice about things that we've just assumed all along. But their questions and their friendship prompt things. And it causes us to sharpen and grow and to look a little bit more like Jesus. And isn't that what's being a disciple is all about? So yeah, we need Paul. We need Barnabas. We need Timothy. But to authenticate and grow our faith, I believe we need those Macedonian men in our lives as, as well. To follow Jesus is to live his life before him, but to follow Jesus is to do life with them as well. And as we befriend them, I think we look a little bit more like Jesus. And as we befriend them, that's following. That's being a follower. So please notice with me, I want us to catch a vision today of what happens when, what can happen when just one is befriended in Jesus' name. Catch a vision of of just that one that God might be saying, why don't you get a little bit closer? Why don't you befriend? Why don't you serve? Why don't you pray? Why don't you be a little bit more intentional in that one's life? Because I notice here, and please notice with me, Paul had a vision for one man But in the end, it was about way more than one man. As Paul and his team urgently went to Macedonia, they found themselves in the Roman colony called Philippi. And as was their custom, if you would read on in the story, they got up and went down by the river and had a time of worship on the Lord's Day. And they meet a handful of people down there, divine appointment, They don't know Jesus, but they're God-fearers without a whole lot of answers. They just have a heart after God. Among them was Lydia, a businesswoman who was famous for selling purple. And they would meet Lydia and her friends by that riverbank And over the next few days, many of them would become saved. And over the next few days, a church would be born. And over over time, Paul would say that they were his fondest church. Read the letter to the Philippian church. It is the most intimate letter that Paul writes to a church. They become his fondest church. They become his best friends, his closest friends. And notice that there's this spider web of faith that grows out of a vision for just one. Who knows what God might do as you befriend the one that God gives you a vision for? Out of a vision for one, ultimately become come a church at Athens, a church at Corinth, a church at Rome. It all started with a passion and a simple step of obedience To just go after and reach one. And Paul's life is interrupted. And God gives him a divine appointment. And a spider web of salvation and discipleship emerges all across Europe. You just never know what God might do when you befriend one, one Macedonian who says, Please come over. Be my friend. Help me. Paul was simply responding to Jesus' invitation, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I got a friend named Chuck. Chuck's a real piece of work. I love him. He's been a pastor in Pennsylvania for a whole lot of years. During his college years, he interned two summers with our youth ministry, actually married a girl out of our youth group. Chuck has been a pastor in Pennsylvania for decades in the same town, uh, multiple times in his town where he serves he's been voted man of the year that's pretty cool huh that speaks to engagement in community and not just within the four walls of the church and, and um, solid steady ministry for for Chuck but I got to tell you it didn't start out that way and junior high in fact right around the corner here in Willoughby Hills Ohio and junior high his godly under five foot Italian mama one day caught him smoking out behind the garage and this godly under five foot Italian mama grounded her son Chuck for life she said Chuck you are grounded for life and she was absolutely serious so Chuck will tell you this was my testimony Monday homeschool home Tuesday homeschool home Wednesday homeschool home church home Thursday, homeschool, home. Friday, homeschool, home. Saturday, home. That was his life for months. That was his routine. His Italian mama was absolutely serious. And after months and months of this routine, something finally stirred in Chuck's heart. And there was a breaking. And there was a yielding and there was a bowing of the knee. He heard those words, take up your cross and follow me. And that day Chuck yielded his life to the Lordship of Jesus and became a disciple. Gloriously saved, one of the first things Chuck did was make a list of all of his lost friends. He wrote their names on a piece of paper vertically. In a column, he began to pray for them. He began to ask God to open a door into their life, begin to serve them, love on them, encourage them. And uh, to this day, if you look inside the front cover of Paul of Chuck's Bible, you'll see this list. Decades later, and it looks like a spider web. Here's this friend, date when they came to Christ. Mom came to Christ. Little sister came to Christ. Here's this friend, date they were saved. Dad came to Christ. Cousin came to Christ. And this spider web of faith moves from left to right across the page. Because Chuck had a vision. Beyond just saying, yeah, they're lost. And yeah, they're in my world. Chuck had a vision for their lives. And Chuck had a vision for their salvation and it sharpened his faith and it marked his life and it strengthened him as a disciple and it helped him become the man of God and the leader that he is today. An interrupted life, divine appointments, a spider web of salvation and faith. I say all glory to Jesus. How about you? Glory to God. And... Um, Even as I was preparing this message, I think I could hear the wheels turning in your minds as you heard it today. You might say, Pastor, that's all well and good, but that's just not me. God didn't give me that gift, to be bold in my faith. God did not give me that gift of evangelist, and you know what, most of us in this room do not have the gifting of evangelists from Ephesians 4. Most of us don't have that gift, but we are all called to the role of being a faithful witness. You will be my witnesses, Jesus said to each and every one of us. We're all called to the role of being a faithful witness in the lives of lost people. It's a part of being a disciple. And there are Macedonian men and women in our lives they're just waiting just waiting for a follower of Jesus to take a more intentional step of friendship just waiting for a follower of Jesus to carve out the time to be more engaged in their lives Paul would say to his young disciple Timothy Do the work of an evangelist, Timothy. I know it's not your gift. Your primary gifting is pastor, but do the work of an evangelist. Just start loving on lost people and see what God does. Can you pray? I know you know how to pray. There's this little thing called prayer evangelism. Not only praying for lost people, but I can't tell you how many times in my life somebody's unpacking their heart. They're going through a hard time. They're not a follower of Jesus. Can I pray with you about that? Rarely ever turned down for prayer. Rarely ever. And when they open their hearts to your prayer, you just don't know what the Holy Spirit might do. Decades ago, I don't recommend this, but I picked up a hitchhiker. I was a youth pastor out west. And as we drove for miles, this young guy shared his story and I just started sharing the Lord with him I just thought well I got a captive audience until I drop him off and as I pulled over to drop him off I simply said um, are you open to opening your heart to the Lord right now and he said no not right now and I said well how, how about before you get out of the car if I just pray for you and that's what I did I prayed for him and after I said amen I looked up in his eyes he said I think I'm ready I think I'm ready to follow your Jesus. We know how to pray, and there's this thing called prayer evangelism. Just don't pray for them, but say, how can I pray for you? It's not rocket science. Do you know how to serve? I know you know how to serve. I know you how to work, know how to work. Servant evangelism, just doing little things, thoughts of kindness, random acts of service. When we serve the lost, the Holy Spirit can use that to open their hearts. Prayer evangelism, servant evangelism, friendship evangelism. I know you know how to be a friend. I know you know how friendship works. Jesus ventured often into the lives of people that didn't know God from a hole in the wall and just began to befriend them. Friendship evangelism. Prayer evangelism, servant evangelism—all three can hope open the heart of a lost person and build a highway for the Holy Spirit to begin to work. In Acts 16, I, I see Jesus. Or excuse me, Paul. is just following the example of Jesus that the other disciples probably told him about from John chapter four, because Jesus had a vision and a burden when he said, "I have to. I must go to Samaria." There's something God has waiting for me in Samaria. It's interrupting our lives. It's a different course. It's a different direction. We're not going to walk around Samaria avoiding it. And Samaritans, like all good Jewish people did, he said, I got to go through Samaria. And we know that as he goes through Samaria with his disciples, they show up at a well. The disciples go into town for some burgers and fries, and Jesus is left in a one-on-one conversation with a woman there at the well. He befriends her, and she is shocked. What are you, a Jewish man, talking to me, a Samaritan? What are you, a Jewish man, talking to me, a woman? That was a double whammy that no Jewish guys did. But Jesus had a vision for her. He saw something. And he gets into a conversation about water, of all things. But over time, he is revealed as the Messiah. She runs into town and says, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. His life is interrupted, but there's a divine appointment. He's crossing cultures. And from one, a spider web of relationship and salvation begin to take place. The disciples return and say, "Jesus." you got to eat something. And Jesus said, I'm not hungry. I've got food that you don't... Who fed Matthew? I didn't feed him. John, I didn't feed him. Who fed him? And Jesus said, I've got meat. I've got food that you don't know anything about. My food, what satisfies me and what strengthens me and what moves me forward is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. That needs to be the heart cry of every disciple. To do the will of him who sent us and to finish his work on this planet. And Jesus would say to his disciples, open your eyes and look on the fields that are white with harvest. Don't say four months. Don't say later. Don't say maybe when I get around to it. There's urgency. It's right now. The harvest is plentiful, guys. And in your busyness and routine and hunger, you just walked right past the harvest that was right in front of you. And look what God did. Probably my favorite title for Jesus in the Word of God, we find in Matthew eleven nineteen, 19, where he's called a friend of sinners. A friend of sinners. The Pharisees meant it as a criticism. I think Jesus took it as a compliment. He said, that's why I'm here. That's why I came, to seek and save that which is lost. A friend of sinners. Jesus was friend to Everybody tax collectors Roman centurions I picture the little kids just running up to him and throwing their their little arms around his legs just loving being around him Jesus was friends to religious leaders like Nicodemus seeking him out in secret at night Jesus was a friend to everybody everybody loved to be with him because everybody felt his care and concern friend of sinners let me ask you I'm going to invade your space here. Audience participation. What do you look for in a friend? What makes a good friend? Huh? Yeah, go ahead. Empathy. Yeah, what else makes a good friend? Huh? Loyalty. Loyalty. What else makes a good friend? A good listener. Absolutely. Somebody else? Trustworthy. Huh? What's... Yeah, somebody walks with the tough times with you. Yeah, somebody else, I heard some. Dedication and honesty. Yeah. Let me give you one more. How about time? What do you do if somebody says, I'm your best friend, but they never have any time for you? Honest, trustworthy, a good listener, they're through the tough times. Time. Can I tell you? This is how Jesus was with the lost. He was a friend of sinners. And this settled into the spirit of Paul so that when he has this vision of this man from Macedonia saying, Come over and help us, he knew immediately that God, by his spirit, was calling him to befriend some new people and not just hang out with the old friends. A friend of sinners. This is how Jesus was with lost people. So it, it, it says, it's really not hard to be like Jesus, just buddy up to somebody that doesn't know him yet and you'll look just like him. We're all called to follow. And he makes us fishers of men. Three stages, this is, go really quick. You know, there's a seed planting stage, isn't that right? And there's a watering stage and there's a reaping stage. Paul says, you, you might plant seeds. You might be the one who comes along to water seeds in somebody's life that already been planted. And how many of you know in this day and age, it's not just about watering seeds. It's about pulling weeds. It's like, people believe so many things about God. It's like, where did you get that at? That's, that's not true. Planting seeds, pulling weeds, reaping. You might be the one who's in that chain of people that have befriended a lost person. And you get to be the one that gets to lead them to Jesus and help them start out being that learner, follower, disciple. So, you know, when I grew up, I was gun shy often about sharing my faith. Because I thought, what if they don't say yes to Jesus? I felt like I had to close the deal. Or otherwise I was a failure. Anybody, you know what I'm talking about? I was a failure if I didn't close the deal, but I want you to picture it this way. Picture a continuum from, from zero to ten. All right. And maybe as you were just being a faithful witness and befriending a lost person, you bumped them from one to four. That's, that's good. That's being a faithful witness. All right. Maybe they are on the negative side. (laughs) Maybe they are, maybe they are, anti-faith and they're like a minus three and you bring them to a plus two that is a good thing that's being a faithful witness maybe you have the joy of taking them from four to ten and you get to lead them to Christ how cool is that but we need to see that a faithful witness isn't one that closes the deal maybe you're just involved in the planting stage maybe you're involved in the watering stage maybe you're involved in the pulling of weeds maybe you get to reap in 1983 I was asked to head up an outreach having never been on one That's an interesting place to be in. It was Cincinnati, Ohio. And for four days in that summer of 1983, we had 375 students from 38 churches come to hit the streets in Cincinnati. It was electric. In the morning, we learned about things like prayer walking and divine appointments and all that. Becky, in one of her prayer walk groups one morning, uh, she had a group of four or five kids with her and they were walking down a side street. in in downtown Cincinnati and uh, as they walked along I think it was one of the young ladies said I feel like there's something wrong about what goes on inside this building we're walking by I I just got this weird feeling can we pray and her little prayer walk group stopped I think you guys actually laid, laid hands on the building isn't that right and said Lord if there's something going on inside this place that's not of you then just take care of it please as they walked finished and walked around the front of the building there was a sign playboy club Cincinnati, Ohio. Within six weeks, front page of the Cincinnati Inquirer, Playboy Club shuts its doors in Cincinnati. Hallelujah. We learned about prayer walking. We learned about divine appointments. (coughs) Excuse me. And the second day of outreach, we had a... We had a band, and we set them up in a field outside the old workhouse, which dated back to the Civil War. It was the old prison in the heart of Cincinnati, in an area called Over the Rhine, which is one of the trendiest areas in the country right now. But at that time, pretty much every building in the area was condemned. It was a tough area, and. As the band played in the hot summer sun, a big crowd, maybe 150 people, formed a big circle around them, began to listen to music. Kids were swimming at a local swimming pool were coming across. The windows in the workhouse were open and the, and the inmates inside were listening. And uh, we were trained to just get close to somebody that wasn't a part of our team and to just say, hey, what do you think about you, what, what they're singing about? And just, just start a conversation, see where to go. And as I was there in the circle, I watched a young guy pull up on a three-wheeler Harley, and he got off his bike, and he began to make his way to the crowd across the field, and he listened for a while, and he's on the other side of the circle, and I'm thinking, and I'm praying, Lord, send one of our teammates alongside that guy. He needs somebody to talk to. Lord, stir somebody's heart to go talk to him. And nobody was going. And I was watching, and I was watching, and I was getting anxious, and he started to walk away, and my heart started doing one of these. I realized God was... Allowing me to be the one to see him. He was my vision of a Macedonian man. And I hurried across the field before he got on his three-wheeler. It wasn't too hard to catch up with him because he walked with a pretty severe limp. And as I caught up with him, I just said, hey, I saw that you came and you listened and you didn't stay very long. And are you doing okay? And was something said that offended you? And first question out of his mouth. Where was your God when? Here we go. Where was your God when, as a senior in high school, I was working nights at a convenience store to raise money for college, and the store was robbed, and a shot was fired, and it nicked my spine, and it's left me like this? Where was your God then? And um, we just started a conversation, and he had some good questions, and God was doing something between our hearts. During the conversation, up walks a young lady. They called her Bean. I mean, I am so out of my element. This is so not where I grew up with the kind of people. I I just felt like a fish out of water, but God put me there. Bean walks up, and she's all upset because she had just had a baby, and her her husband, Big Ronnie, was on the run from the law and couldn't come back into the city of Cincinnati and hadn't seen his baby. So we're talking with half-step. We're talking with Bean, and all I can say is, Over the course of the next half hour, God opened their hearts. We had the privilege of leading both of them to Christ. Half-step, totally strung out, got them plugged into Teen Challenge. I never saw him again. But as we were saying our goodbyes, half-step pulled me aside and said, Randy, I just want to thank you. He said, I've heard that stuff. I'd heard that story all my life. I, have so, I had so much anger built up on my heart toward God. He said, I didn't want to hear it again. And as I walked, up, as I walked away from that music, I made up my mind I was going to get on my bike and go to the Hopple Street Viaduct and jump off and take my life. So he said, thank you. God interrupted my life. He called me for a moment of friendship with somebody so unlike me on every level. It opened this young man's heart to reconsider the claims of Christ. And that day he became a brother and a follower and the spider web of God's grace and salvation began. You just never know what might be set in motion as God envisioned you with your Macedonian man. You just never know what God might set in motion when he sends you to someone, maybe verbally or not verbally, begging, please come over and help me. Please just come over and help me. And in time, these Macedonian people in our lives that initially don't know God from a hole in them all just might become our brothers and sisters in Christ. In time, these Macedonian people, as Paul experienced, just might ultimately be some of your dearest friends in the faith. And maybe as you move toward life and toward heaven, these Macedonian people that come to the Lord, may just become some of your fondest memories of following Jesus on this earth. So following together, that's what we're talking about over these weeks. And I want to encourage you again, I I, I beg you, enlist a Paul. Be a Barnabas. God, give me somebody to go after in an iron-sharpening-iron relationship. Enlist a Paul, be a Barnabas, grow a Timothy, befriend the lost, fulfill your call. Enlist a Paul, be a Barnabas, grow a Timothy, befriend a lost man or woman. Fulfill the call of God on your life as a disciple of Jesus. This Macedonian man, he plays a key role in your discipleship as you play a key role in his discipleship. So, let me just ask you, who might God be calling you today? Even during the course of this message, maybe God just began to highlight faces in your mind. A people that are lost in your world, they've been lost for a long, long time. And the relationship has just been so what it is that maybe we don't even think about them ever becoming a follower of Jesus. But God just might surprise you. Who might God be calling you today to befriend? Who is God giving you a vision for? Who is that Macedonian man, that Macedonian woman, that becomes a part of your discipleship as you become, hopefully, a part of theirs? Let's bow our heads before the Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, I ask that you would give each of us in the room today a vision for one lost person. May we not be like the disciples in John 4 that just walk right past the harvest and the busyness of life. Envision us, Lord, with our Macedonian man, envision us with someone that we can intentionally befriend being to step into the world help them love on them, serve them, pray for them and as we befriend them Lord and as we pray for them and as we serve them Lord do what only you can do, draw them to yourself and God I pray that we, as we all receive the courage from you to step out and step in Intentionally into a lost person's life. That in your time, our actions this week will cause a spider web of salvation over the months and years to come. A spider web web of salvation for your glory alone. Lord, we pause and ask you to flash faces before our eyes. Maybe they haven't been on our heart for a while, but God, they're always on your heart. May we see them with new eyes. May we open our eyes wide, Jesus, as you said, and see them as the harvest that's ready to be harvested for your glory. Thank you for Paul's. Thank you for Barnabas. Thank you for Timothy's. God, give us a Macedonian man for your glory. Christ's name we pray. Can we all say amen together? Amen. Amen. As we come to the table of the Lord today, folks, in Matthew 26, we're told that Jesus is with his disciples the night before he goes to the cross. He's with his disciples, his called out ones. He's with the ones that he called together to follow him. And he called them to follow him together to be Barnabas Paul and Timothy to one another in Matthew 26 we read these words while they were eating Jesus took bread when he had given thanks he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying take and eat this is my body then he took the cup and when he had given thanks he gave it to them and he says drink from it all of you because this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins and he says on that night before he goes to the cross, I tell you I will not drink from the fruit of the vine from now on until that day promise when I drink with when I drink it with you anew in my father's kingdom. That's going to be a great day. And on that day what's called the day of salvation will be completed. And just as surely as God shut the door on noah's ark and nobody else got in one day god will shut the door and he will gather up all of his disciples and we will be with him forever in heaven but until that day we have opportunity and we have work we have people we can reach so with elements in hand let's take the bread first okay Let me just say this, the bread and the cup, as we hold them today, we're saying, Jesus, these are signs of my decision and trust to follow you. By taking the bread and the cup today, I say, thank you, Jesus, for opening the door for me to be your disciple, your learner, your follower, your ambassador. Your reproducer when Jesus took the bread he broke it and said that gave thanks and how many are thankful that by his stripes and broken body we're healed today body, soul, and spirit so Lord we pause before you and we thank you for this bread which represents your body thank you for healing body, soul, and spirit that we might better represent you on this earth so Lord it's with thanksgiving heart that we eat the bread let's eat it together Thank you, Lord. The scriptures, Old Testament and new, were clear. Without the shedding of blood, there was no remission or forgiveness of sin. But Jesus became that final sacrifice lamb. Hallelujah. Isn't that right? And as we have often said, it's a mystery to me that one so perfectly whole would willingly be broken so that we who were so broken could be made whole and saved but as we take the cup today we echo back to Jesus you know I think Jesus when he took the cup it was his way of saying guys I hold nothing back this is my all and as we take the cup today may we be saying to Jesus Jesus I hold nothing back I'm your man I'm your woman I'm your disciple so Lord we thank you for this cup We thank you that it represents our salvation. We thank you for forgiveness of sins, not because of anything we could ever do, but God, it's amazing that our hearts are squeaky clean in your presence because of your grace. So we thank you for forgiveness that this cup represents. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's drink the cup together. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God. As the worship team prepares to lead us in a final song, I just encourage you before you get up, just right where you're seated, just turn your palms upward in the presence of the Lord. Just, Just say, thank you, God. Let's just take a minute. Let's just take a minute and be grateful. Let's be grateful. Be called to be his disciple. Let's just be grateful for the gift of salvation. Let's just be grateful for the promise of heaven. One day we'll be sharing these elements with Jesus around a great table in the sky. Let's just be grateful for that assurance and that confidence that we're in God and we know God and He, Jesus already gone before us to prepare a place for us. Let's be grateful, people. Thank you, God, for what you've done. Thank you, God, for what you're doing. Thank you, God, for what you are going to do as Word of Grace. We latch on with intentionality to be disciples, to invite a Paul, to be a Barnabas, to train a Timothy, and to embrace and serve a Macedonian. God, we can't wait to see what you're going to do in and through this church, in this community, and in the nations for your glory. And all the church said together, amen, amen, amen. Hey, thanks for joining us today. We pray this message has been a blessing to you. If you've enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to leave us a review. It helps others find this content. If you want to connect with us, head over to social media or go to wordofgracechurch.com.